0: Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. Commercial free versions of past episodes. Podcasts blast from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today guys, we are rewinding back to July 11th, 2012 the year that the world did not end in, even though a lot of people seem to believe it was. And uh, one of the things I remember about this time in the show is there was a lot of buzz around 2012. I don't think people in the preparedness industry or in preparedness world really believed in it, but I think like it had this underlying angst going, kind of Y2K-like thing, like it'd come back again, and it, it had a lot of buzz going in preparedness. And... Because of that, there were a lot of people asking me, like, do you think there's a future in this industry for something like the Survival Podcast? And my response is, absolutely, because we don't depend on those things. And I think we've shown our longevity at this point. So it's just kind of an interesting thing to think about. I I wasn't really thinking about that when I hit the record button for today's intro to a rewind show. I just looked at the date 2012 and remembered, oh, yeah, I remember all that hysteria. Uh, And I remember me saying in, like, 2011, like, if you want to buy some cheap stuff, just wait. Wait till like, mid-January and hit Craigslist and eBay. And I actually remember hearing from someone, you can't believe the price of got on a generator. Yeah, I can. I sure as hell can. But on the note of generators and backup power and stuff like that, um, this is the first in a two-part series from Stephen Harris on dealing with a long-term blackout. Now, we had talked with Stephen about some other things before. Basic preparedness. We had talked about generators with him at this this point. He had really become somebody that the audience really liked and really valued, and I knew at that point I wanted to make him kind of a a long-term partner of the survival podcast. And, you know, here we are six years later and he's part of the expert council and you hear from him, you know, two, three times a month or more. He's running CAC as the chairman of the board of directors, helping people. And he's helped a lot of people in this audience. So that's cool. So with a rewind, I needed to bring Stephen back, but talk about a topic that's a timely topic today. Once again, dealing with a long term blackout. And and this is one of those things that, like, I think is the easiest thing when people say to me, well, Jack, I have this fill-in-the-blank, brother-in-law, you know, brother, mother, father, son, daughter, whatever. They just will listen to anything about preparedness. Like, this is the topic to go to them with. Not security, even though it's important. Not food security, even though it's important. Just power outage. Just power outage. And just, okay... Well, are you at least set up with the power's out for a couple hours? Well, yeah. I, know, I have a flashlight. Do you know where it is? So you get them thinking about that. And you say, you know, maybe, maybe I can help you get ready just in case the power's out for a night. Just so that it, it, it's, it's more convenient for you and the kids. Right? And then once they get that done, they feel like this is what I've always realized about getting people into preparedness. Once you get them to take some basic steps to be more prepared than they were. They don't feel like oh I'm done now. They feel like oh that 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 felt good. It's kind of like exercising. It's a little bit tough while you're doing it, but when you've done it a few times in a in, in, you know in a regular schedule, you get to the point where when you get done exercise, it actually has like this endorphin release and it feels good. And you're excited about the next time you get to do it. You want to do it again. You want to do a little bit more. Well, that's how preparedness is. You know you you get it done and then they say well that wasn't scary. That wasn't hard. That didn't require and they don't maybe put it this way, but this is what's going on in the subconscious. That didn't require a complete readjustment of my life. I didn't have to you know, face paying off all that scary credit card debt yet anyway. I just had to get basically stuff I already had and put it together and come up with a plan and maybe pick up a few extra batteries. Oh, they make rechargeable batteries, and I learned about those. And I learned I can use them in all my remote controls and stuff like that. So... That really are useful to me anyway, but now I have a way to charge them. I got a charger and I can plug that into my car and that way I'm going to have power and I can just even, you know, not even the Spirico, you know, 12 gas can method, just a couple cans of gas so the car can keep running if there's a black. And I'm going to be okay now if there's not just a blackout for a day, but for four or five days to a week. I can at least run a fan so we don't sweat to death. Oh, and you know, as you get a little bit more advanced, you know pick up a you know either a propane or a kerosene heater, at least we can keep one of the rooms nice and warm and toasty, so everybody's okay and it 's really a low cost thing to get yourself prepared to be relatively comfortable and happy for even a week without power and to be able to make sure your food doesn 't go bad and stuff like that it 's the softest entry into preparedness that I know of it 's also the one that is most likely to pay off. Because when do you think we're going to have a major blackout again? I mean, are we done with major hurricanes for the year, making landfall in the United States? I don't know, maybe, I hope so. But you know what's coming, right? Winter is coming. Winter always comes. That was another theme in the show early on. Winter's coming because winter always comes. All it takes is a couple trees loaded down with some ice and a couple branches to break and a couple lines to come down, and now you're without power. Let me tell you a story about being without power. I'm going to take you, you think we're going way back today, back to 2012, right? We've been way back because we went back all the way to 2008 in this series. I want to take you back to I believe it would have been 1984. It was either 84 or 85, and it's proof to me that the people that keep weather records are stupid and don't actually keep weather records. I was still living in Jacksonville, Florida. It was a year or two before we moved to Pennsylvania. I was in like junior high, like sixth or seventh grade. It was Christmas Eve. You know, Jacksonville, Florida is like USDA Zone 9. It doesn't generally freeze there. It seldom snows there. Uh, Even in the winter, it's usually not that cold. Well, we had an unseasonably cold New Year's Eve. It went down, I believe, 29 degrees was the low temperature. And understand, buildings, especially apartment complexes like we lived in Jacksonville back then, were not really built... Really, really well to keep you warm. And generally speaking, you didn't have something like a fireplace because no one would ever use it, though we sure would have that time. And we had no, you know, emergency heat source because, well, we live in Jacksonville, Florida. Got it? Well, what happens when it drops to 29 degrees and everybody and their mother is not only in town, but their mother has come to town, their family has come to town, and you, you know, it's, it's the day before Christmas and it's this cold. Everybody jacks up the thermostat, right? And, of course, the utility companies weren't fit to deal with it. And a few other things happened, I think, because it snowed. And that's why I said the weather people are stupid. So it snowed. And the power went out. And I remember waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning, shivering, shivering, and looking at my window. And there was ice on the inside of of my window. Now, no, today I know that that didn't mean the house was below freezing. It means the temperature of the surface of the glass and the metal that was in contact with the outside air was below freezing. But man, as a kid, I'm like I went and looked at the toilet to see if the water had frozen on the toilet. I've had that happen once. It was at a hunting camp, but no, it wasn't. But about that time, my old man gets up. He gets my sister up. And uh, one of the presents we were getting from Santa, right, at the time, was uh, like sweatsuits, like old school 80s sweatsuits. So he's like, you're both opening a present now, right? So we open this present and it's sweatsuits. We put the sweatsuits on and we go back to bed. I might as well tell you the whole story now, right? Just some new content to go with today's show. And uh, I think it was about 6 a.m. You heard, and the heaters came on. And it's started to warm the house up, you know. And you're when you're that age as a kid, man. It's Christmas, woohoo, right? So I get up and I go running out to the Christmas tree and I look, and I wanted a bike, right? And there's this new bike sitting right next to the tree. And we had a real, like a really fat, real Christmas tree, like a balsa fir or something like that. So I jump on the bike and I fall into the the tree and I mash the tree down really bad. So I get up, I put the bite back. Nobody's awake yet. And we had this big giant black and white tomcat that like when he slept, he was like out and he would just stay wherever you put him. So I put the cat in the tree because it wouldn't shape back up. So the cat would get the blame. And I went back to bed and pretended to be asleep and the cat got the blame. My, my overriding point in that is that, you know, that was a short term power outage, but I remember being pretty miserable during that. And it, you know, it only lasted about nine or ten hours. But in the winter, you can actually be a lot more win- miserable in a power outage than in the summer. So this is a good time to talk to those in your life that are just not into prepping because they've just seen the need for it with the hurricanes. And winter is coming because it always does. With that in mind, let's bring back from the past Stephen Harris, episode 939, dealing with a large scale blackout. Part 1 of 2. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Uh, today is Wednesday July July eleventh, two thousand and twelve, and this is episode nine hundred and thirty nine of the Survival Podcast. And I'm a jazzed up, so I got one of my favorite people uh, hanging on the line right now. that We're going to bring on to talk about dealing with a blackout. Uh, and I just had Steve Steve Harris, of course, who's I'm talking about here. Just had Steve booked for today. I had that happen like a month ago. Dorothy booked him, and we didn't even know what he was going to be on about. We just know we can always come up with something. And when all of this stuff went on with the storms up in the Northeast and blackouts and people without you know power and having their food go bad and everything else it was like a perfect thing for steve to talk about so that's what he's here to talk with us about today and he's got some great stuff as usual and returning now for his ninth episode of the survival podcast again here today to talk to us about all kinds of stuff to do with keeping our house uh, in order in the middle of a long-term blackout one of my favorite people Stephen harris hey steve welcome back to the survival podcast man
1: woo Jack! I'm happy, I'm thrilled to be, to be back at what I call the Church of Jack. <laughs> this, this is my ninth time on the show, and I am really going to rock the world of your listeners. I'm all pissed off at the stupidity I've seen on the news and everything else. Um, I've been on the show eight times previously, and I've always talked about energy, and energy from this and energy from that, and I've always talked about energy, but most of your people don't know this. I teach preparedness. I've had over 108,000 downloads of my family preparedness class. So I'm going to talk to you tonight all about energy and preparedness, just like those for those two million people that lost power in in the mid-Atlantic states last week from that derecho. And I'm going to tell you what it is, what I use, how long I've used it, how good it works. And then I'm going to give you the links on Solar 1234 on where to buy the thing on Amazon uh, with free shipping and or where to get it at Walmart or Home Depot. And um, it's, going to, it's going to be awesome. In fact, Jack, didn't you, didn't you hear of me before I was on the show the first time? Yeah, and it was like
0: so far back that when I first had you on, I didn't even connect the dots and realize it was you. It was, I had been going on for about maybe three or four months. I had a couple thousand listeners, if that. And somebody sent me a link to the class you're talking about. So you gotta listen to this guy. He sounds a lot like you. I'm like, really? So I was working like fifteen, sixteen hours a day back then. So it was one of those things where I kind of listened to it while I was dealing with, uh, you know, Excel reports on one of my companies. It was, you know, as usual, riding the knife edge between being profitable and 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 having to cut employees. Uh, but I didn't remember a lot of it. But there was one thing that I remember really, really well, which was you said it was easier to to, to feed your neighbors than to shoot them. Yeah. And and when I met you and we were talking, I'm like. I know I've heard this guy before, and that's what it was. But it took like two two interviews with you before I realized it. I went back and listened to it again. I went, oh, that's where it is.
1: Yep, yep, yep. It's easier to feed your neighbors than to shoot them. All you do is go off and get uh, some great big bags of corn and wheat, and you throw it in uh, hot oil about 350 degrees with a uh, a metal strainer, and it parches it in about 30 seconds. And you might and- not want to eat deer corn, but you can feed it to your neighbors. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, this is, this is, this, these are corn knots, is what they yeah. are. And, yeah. uh, they're, they're delicious. You put some salt or some powders on them. And, uh, believe me, two, after two days when your neighbors are hungry, they'll be, they'll scarf scar this stuff down like popcorn. Even though it's not popcorn, it's parched corn. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I always kept a, a bunch of that stuff just to, uh, feed my neighbors. And like you said, I said, I will say later on in the show, you never know what happens when you feed your neighbors. They just might bring the booze over. Yeah, I think it's a big part of community building,
0: and it's something people should be doing in advance. But, you know, you're right about this this problem, and it was like I had you booked. As usual, we're like, we'll figure out what we're going to talk about when we get closer to it. And then we had this major event, and a lot of people have been asking about it, so it's very fortuitous. But it's a big problem. I mean, one of the things I I covered this earlier this week, I talked about there was a report that about 300,000 households were without power in West Virginia alone. And well, in West Virginia alone, yeah. Yeah, Just, West Virginia. So I looked up the population of West Virginia. It's about <laughs> 1.8 million people. If you figure an average household is four, uh, that means about three uh, about uh, 300,000. That means only about 450,000 households. Mm-hmm. So that means 300,000 out of 450,000 households were without power for at least uh, more than 48 hours, and some of them for close to a week. So. You know, the first hour is not that big a deal, and then the first day is even not that big a deal, but it starts to wind on you after a while, doesn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, the first day, what I say is the first day you're looking for gas and just, you know, find out what's going on. The second day you are out looking for water. The third day you're out looking for food. The fourth day you're fighting for everything.
0: Yeah. We had some reports come in of people selling bags of ice for $25 a bag uh, on the side <laughs> of the road selling gallons of gasoline for $20, $30 a gallon, because even if the gas stations had gas, in many instances, they couldn't pump it because yeah. they didn't have power either. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, King of all loudmouths, Rush Limbaugh, was on the radio. I heard him yesterday going home, and he was talking about how, we still have power out in these areas around our nation's capital. You mean we can't get this up? And I'm like, dude, you don't really understand how it works. Um, and, and it's amazing to see how much uh, abuse there is in that area, in such a short period of time.
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, one of the things I'm going to show you during this class, uh, during this session that we're going to have, uh, is how to make your own ice uh, off an inverter off of your car. Awesome. So you'll have you'll have your own ice, and I'm going to show you where <laughs> to get everything. In fact, we're going to talk a great deal about uh, refrigerators and freezers, which leads me into my first subject. Uh, first, for those of you if you wanted the the class that Jack and I were talking about, mine. It's at BeforeTheStormHits.com. If you can't remember that, it's at so- I'll put a link at it at Solar1234.com. I've had over 108,000 downloads of it, so it's good stuff. Well, this time, power and preparedness, and what I'm going to do is we're going to talk about how to power all the little things in your life that becomes useless when the power fails. Because, I mean, what fails, Jack? Your cell phone is going to die. Your radio's gone. Your TV's gone. Your satellite dish is gone. Your refrigerator's gone. Your freezer's gone. Your well pump is gone. Your septic or your sewage might be gone. Uh, your air conditioning's gone. Your fans are gone. Uh, the uh, Your electric dog water fountain is has died. So, you know, Fido can't get his oxygenated water. Uh, Yeah, I'm not
0: buying one of those. My dogs, you know, seem to be content if I forget to close the the lid of the toilet. (laughs) Get out of there! So I'm thinking they don't need an electric dog water purifying machine. But you're right about all the other stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean it's just every it's what I caused. Everything in your life that becomes useful was useful became useless. And we're going to talk about how to take those useless things and how to make them useful again. Speaking of animals, my cat just hopped up on my platform as I was trying to talk to you. (laughs) <laughs> they always do it at the right time, don't they, Jack? Yep, <laughs> yep. Well, we're going to talk about refrigerators and freezers first, and making ice, and powering your house from your car with an inverter and how to have a limited amount of AA batteries. You're going to have all the AA batteries you could possibly want from your inverter and your car for your radios, for your flashlights, so you're not going to have to worry about it. We're talking about keeping your iPhone and your Android phone powered forever because there's a lot of little great little apps on these phones that will, you know, I mean, even your insurance app, you can take pictures of your house and file an insurance report right from your darn phone, which is great if, if, if a tornado came by, came by. And we got a lot of other hands-on stuff that you can get right now at either Walmart or Amazon. These are all normal items. They're not expensive survival things that you have to, you know, figure out and read the directions and spend a lot of money on. These are all common household things. This is stuff you use in your daily life, okay? This is stuff you use in your daily life, not just in a disaster. In fact, that's the best survival stuff to have is the stuff that you use every day. What was it you said on the Glenn Beck show when you asked me about – when they asked you what's the most important thing to have for survival, Jack? Yeah, what I said was – and, you know, it was kind of funny because you had the
0: guy there that was from the food company, so he said food. And then you had yeah. the ham guy, and he said ham, you know, ham radio communications. And I'm like, it's not stuff. You know, stuff's just a piece of it. It's a skill set, it's a mindset, it's what you put in your, it's what you put in your mind, your abilities, and what you put in your heart so you're prepared to deal with it. If you do that, then you can make use of what you
1: have. Yeah. Well, I'm going to add to that. Okay. The stuff that you have, um, you really need to know your stuff. Okay. And let's say I pick you up and throw you in California and there's a big earthquake and you're away from your stuff. You're going to go, Oh no, what am I going to do? I'm not with my stuff. Well, if you know the first thing you want to find is a good kitchen knife, I mean, you can start making your stuff. You can get cut plastic bags, to waterproof yourself, plastic bags for uh, plastic for storing and holding water and carrying it, rope and wire, you can all cut it with a knife to make things, to carry things, to uh, wrap up the hole in your shoe. I mean, it, it's uh, like you said, it's all your mind stuff. It's not what you have, it's what you know. But if you do have stuff, The only way you're going to know how to use it is is if you have used it on a daily basis for one reason or another. So think of this. Can you just see yourself? It's cold. It's raining. Your roof is missing from your house. Half the back wall's gone. Your kids are crying. They're missing their favorite teddy bear. Your wife is trying to find a tampon. (laughs) Your arm is sprained, one shoe is missing, you're bleeding, you're thirsty, and you got to go to the toilet, and the toilet don't work if the toilet's even there. And you're holding this box for this fancy survival widget and trying to read the instructions in small print on the back. You can't find your reading glasses. You're trying to figure out how to use this. This is not the time to figure out how to use this.
0: No, absolutely not. And I mean, it's the, kind of the same thing I tell people. Like, I am big on your first 90 days of self-sufficiency, see, see with food even, should be built out of the things that you eat every day. Eat what you store and store what you eat. Yep. And then we can start looking at MREs, freeze-dried long-term storables, because some of us, we're preparing not just to be without power for a couple of weeks, we're preparing for much bigger global events. But we got to start somewhere, and starting with these ability to make it through a couple weeks, which is much more likely to happen, is important. But even those people, I'm like, if you've bought a case of Mountain House freeze dried pork chops, yep, one day you might want to waddle your little ass into your, your your bunker or whatever, pull out a can of it, open them the hell up, figure out how to cook them, so you know how to use what you have. But I, I'm with you on the short-term scenarios. We need to look at using the things that we use every day.
1: Yep. You, uh, you are really better having three days of food that you know how to use than you are having 30 days of food you've never used. Or you, can, you can change that to three months in one. You can change it any time frame you want. I had some special operations guys teach me a few things that I'll never forget, and I just love this. Uh, two is one, and one is none. If you have two, one will end up getting broken or lost, and you'll have one left. If you have one of something, it'll end up biting the dust, and you'll have none. Heck, for this interview, my main condenser microphone started to have a hum like crazy in it. Couldn't figure out, couldn't fix it. So out comes my my Sennheiser headset, okay? Two is one, one is none. My third level backup to do the show is I have two cordless phones charged up on a hard line ready to, ready to go. Okay, so I had three things backed up for, for ready to go just for this interview. So, I mean, I'm practicing two is one, one is none in my daily life just as a matter of fact. So all the stuff I'm going to talk about with you is dual purpose, okay? If one fails, its cousin that you got that does something else will be able to take care of what the first one died from. So most stuff will do more than one thing. And in reference to you and in your house with no roof that I was talking about, and it's raining and trying to figure out what to do, there's three things uh, that all of your preparedness stuff must pass. Okay, everything must pass this test. One, will it work? Okay, does whatever you're going to buy or going to get. Does it actually work? If it doesn't work, forget it, okay? Is it necessary? Do you really need it? Is it really necessary for what you're going to do? Is it a core item? If not, no, you don't need it. Now, here's the big one in reference to the house with the rain coming in and you're bleeding and hurt and everything. Can I duplicate it under stress? Can I repeat what I'm going to do here in my house in the comfort with my cat sitting next to my feet? Can I repeat that in that scenario with the house is gone and I'm opening up, I'm in my bunker and I'm opening up my stuff and my wife and the kids are crying? Can I repeat and do it underneath stress? The answer is going to have to be yes. And the only way you're going to be able to duplicate it under stress as if you're using it on a regular basis. And we're going to You talk know, about let you. me
0: say something on that, Steve, because I think it's like it's a perfect example of how the military prepares you for that same situation. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys have seen these movies where the guy's, like, taking apart and putting to get back together the M16 or the forty five or the M9 yep. over yep. and over and over. And you, you, a lot of people, if they've never been in, they think, like, that's just, like, bravado and whatever. It's not. Because what that means, if I can strip a weapon down and put it back together, I can handle any malfunction in a fraction of the time I can completely strip the weapon down. And by doing it over and over and over again, if I'm in a stressful situation... I can do it anyway, not because I'm some badass and I'm not afraid, but just because my, my hands, my mind, everything about it, the muscle memory has gotten to the point where I can do it. It's just like people that I don't think you should. But let's face it, there's people that can haul ass down the highway 75 miles an hour with a Starbucks coffee in one hand, text one-handed on a cell phone and do it. Now, if you take a person that's never seen a cell phone before, they're going to end up dead. They're not going to pull it off once. Again, I'm not saying you should do it. I'm just saying it, sh- it demonstrates that when we do things over and over and over again, they simply become second nature.
1: I agree 100%, and that's why they even do it in the military, blindfolded. Yeah, it's not done as much as they
0: tell you, but yeah, it is done on some level. <laughs> it's not like it's everybody and every day, though. It's uh, it's uh, it's a uh, it's, uh, it's kind of more theatrical than anything else, unless you're like an SF guy or something like that.
1: Yeah, I've seen, uh, guys doing this, and, uh, they actually had them do jumping, jumping jacks, and running rabbits, and mountain climbs. They were doing a competition, uh, and it was- All blindfolded? No, it uh, was machine gun class, and they were, yeah. they, the four finals had to run up to the machine gun range, and, and shoot their targets, and they took them out in the woods, and they had them do all these things that basically make your legs into rubber, and then they- yeah. They had to run to the machine guns and put them together, and they were tripping over each other, running into trees, because these exercises all rubberized your legs and disoriented you. And then when they showed up to their guns, their guns were all apart. and They had to put them back together (laughs) and then load them up and shoot them. But, I mean, that that was called a culmination exercise, but that's what military is doing. But what we're going to talk about is, uh, you know, does it work as a necessary And this is going to be stuff that's going to keep you from going back into the age of Fred Flintstone with communications. And we're going to get your kids involved, and we're going to do this especially when we're talking about AA battery chargers. I want you and your kids to use AA rechargeable batteries in your remote controls, in your kids' toys, in your flashlights, and stuff you're always grabbing and using. That that way, in a disaster, heck, you're going to go to your kid, hey – hey, these batteries are dead, go get me two new ones and charge up these other ones. And he's going to be like, okay, Dad, you know, it'll be, it'll be second nature to him, going over and putting them in charge them because that's what he does every day for his toys. So a disaster is going to be second nature. Awesome.
0: Well, let's let's talk about that, but let's start out with something that I know just pisses you off.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah okay. okay, let's start out with, because this is the big one everybody's worried about when the power goes off, especially in the summer in a heat wave. I'm going to lose all my food, everything in my refrigerator and freezer is going to be dead, And I have no problem with the person that has the money and the means having a small generator set and being able to run it on and off here and there and and extend the life of it. But that's like kind of down the path. There's a lot of things we can do without really any big expenses at all. And in a lot of like power outages of two, three days, we just have to be smart. We don't even have to we don't need anything just have a, a plan. So can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Oh, yeah, refrigerators and freezers. Oh, does this ever get me pissed? And I I heard some of these great comments from idiots on the TV and radio over the last week with the two million people out of power in the Mid-Atlantic area. My favorite is one. Okay, I recorded this and wrote it down everything. Over the last two days, we lost everything in our freezer and refrigerator, and now we're out driving around trying to buy a generator so we might be able to save the little bit of what what we might be able to salvage. Oh my god, I'm gonna have a conniption fit. First of all, <laughs> get out of the mentality that I gotta save my refrigerator. I gotta save my freezer. Even if you got a generator, you don't let it sit there and run all the time. You run it for a couple hours a day. The refrigerator is not your mother-in-law. It does not need constant life support. <laughs> okay? Yeah. For one thing, your refrigerator and freezer are insulated. They will stay cold for days, even when it's 95 degrees outside, and I've done this, both in the blackout and in trial situations. It'll keep the stuff in there cool for at least two days, and you only have about two days worth of food in the thing anyways. So, it's gonna last two days, you got two days worth of food. Start eating it, okay? As I tell everyone, start with the ice cream. <laughs> You like hey, a, and it uh,
0: make the kids happy. You can have all the yeah. ice cream you want right now, Johnny. Get eaten.
1: Yeah, exactly. You, you get to the point where the power fails. Your kids are going to go, yay, ice cream. You know, yeah. <laughs> it happen on a regular basis. And this is so easy. Bang, the power fails, okay? You're stuck in your house. Your power has gone. You open up your freezer. You take out the ice cream. Give everyone spoons. Then you move your milk and your butter and other, like, dairy products that wants to be colder, you move them from the refrigerator to the freezer section because the freezer is at minus 5 and it's warming up. And your refrigerator is at 40 degrees and it's going to start warming up. Okay? In case you didn't know, your freezer is 0 to minus 5. Your refrigerator is about 35 to 40. Okay? So you move the cold stuff. wants to be the coldest to the coldest section. Well, it's 90 degrees or hotter outside. Uh, like it was just the last week. So I guess you don't really need your winter blankets. You're not going to use them. So why don't you go get your winter blankets and your sleeping bags and put them around your freezer and your refrigerator to keep them cool, okay? I mean, it's it's an insulated box. You want it to stay colder for longer? Put more insulation over it. It works, okay? You know, people come to me and they ask me, uh, I need to power my refrigerator and my freezer, you should not be asking Steve Harris how to cool your refrigerator and freezer. Ask me how to keep the coldness inside of them that you already have. But even with that said, just for some people, we'll talk about some power for your refrigerator or freezer in a, in, in a bit. Okay? This makes sense, doesn't it, Jack? Start eating what might spoil or melt and then put blankets over the refrigerator or freezer to keep it cool?
0: Well, it, it's what we always did. I mean, I grew up in Pennsylvania, we always had generators because we lived in a place where power would frequently go out and stay out, and you, you had one. Uh, but it was, it was never a priority. Let me go plug in the chest freezer in the, in the, in the shanty, right? It was yeah. never a priority unless it was a long-term outage. And then, like you're saying, okay, we'd go plug in the deep freezer, run it for an hour or two, and mm-hmm. then, and then shut it off because it would stay cold. And like you said, we used to throw all the blankets and shit on top of it, and we made it through some, you know, week-long power outages, probably running a generator on it twice. Yeah. A day. And it also makes me think about this, like, It wasn't that long ago, right? People have this, like, vision of time anymore that's, like, totally unrealistic. It wasn't that long ago that your grandparents and great-grandparents didn't know what the hell a refrigerator was, and the concept that if your food is not held at the refrigerator's temperature for 13 and a half seconds, if you eat it, you will die, just seems to be one of the things that we've been lied to about, and people overreact because they don't know the truth.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, just what the heck is aged meat or aged cheese? I mean, (laughs) God. I'm really tired of the news and the government saying, if it gets above 40 degrees, throw it out. I mean, it could grow bacteria. What the hell temperature do you think a steak gets to when you thaw it out before you put it on the grill? I mean, it gets to room temperature. It doesn't instantly grow bacteria.
0: Well, and, and, a, and, a, and a good cook, like Keith Snow, when we have him on, will tell you, absolutely let that steak come to room temperature before you throw it on the grill and sear it. That way it won't
1: stick, and it'll cook better. Yeah, and I mean, you cook at the 160. Standard you, practice. You cook at the 160, kills all the bacteria anyways. I mean, what temperature does milk come out of a cow at? I mean, pretty warm. Cow, yeah,
0: pretty warm. It's called body temperature. Actually, I think a cow's body temperature is a little bit higher than a human's, so it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty warm. If it's inside the cow, it's going to, you know... I don't know the word for it. I'm thinking osmosis, but that's the wrong word. But you know what I'm saying. It's going to be the same temperature of the body it's held in.
1: Right, right. Look, I mean, you pull your milk out of your refrigerator, you put it in your freezer, and two days go by, and you pull out your milk, you're going to drink it, and you go, you sniff it first. And if you go, ooh, okay, it's bad. Okay, give it to the dog to drink before you throw it out. You know, The dog will drink it, or the cats will drink it just happily. So don't even throw it out then. You know, the same thing with a can of peaches. You open up a can of peaches and and and, and, and it, you go, oh, God, it smells horrible. Don't eat it, okay? You can open up a can of peaches and it's like a little discolored. It's just a little oxidized. It tastes okay. You can go ahead and eat it. Uh, your sniffer tells you, your nose, that's your natural instinct. It tells you whether things are good or spoiled or not. Well, you can eat it or not. Um, what about eggs, Jack?
0: Well, it really depends to me. Um, <laughs> eggs have a massive shelf life, even without being refrigerated. Except in the, in the a shelf. lot of the eggs we get from the store are 30 to 60 days old before we get them.
1: Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's sad. Yeah, it's true. Um, eggs have a great shelf life because, you know, eggs sit under chickens and slowly turn into a baby chicken. But, uh, yeah, a lot of the eggs in the store are much
1: older than you would think.
0: But that also gives you an idea of how long their shelf life is because look at the, look at the number, or the, you know, the date on the, on the cart.
1: Yeah, yeah, our grandparents, they used to have eggs sit in a basket on the table all the time. But yeah. of course, they, they grabbed them fresh out of the rear end of the chicken. Uh, the one the one caveat I am going to throw in there about stuff going bad is stuff like egg salad and mayonnaise, things that's opened up with raw eggs. Uh, raw egg is actually a heavy growth medium for bacteria and viruses. In yeah. fact, that's what we grow. You know, you get a flu shot, it, it, you know, that flu shot was grown as an uh, antivirus uh, in an egg. They grow them in eggs. So any opened eggs, go ahead, give that to the dog and let the dog get diarrhea and eat it. Uh, <laughs> other, other, other than that, I mean, if it's regular food, use your sniffer. And if it warms up the room temperature and smells good, go ahead and eat it. If not, throw it out. So let's see. Pile. I mean, there's another thing in the refrigerator called thermal mass. And so if you got a big, like you said, Jackie you have a big freezer, you got a big cow in your freezer, I mean, that's a lot of thermal mass. That's a lot of stored, frozen energy. That means you got a lot of cold storage. So pile on the blankets in the freezer, I mean a good six inches to a foot of blankets on top of the thing, and hang it around the sides, put it on the top. Uh, this can keep beef good for three to five days, maybe more, okay? It all depends upon how much thermal mass is in there. If it really starts getting warm out and you can tell the beef has already really warmed up to ambient – you know, and you know it's going to get warm over the next couple of days. Get out the grill and get the neighbors over. Have a huge cookout. Feed everyone because it might spoil. Remember, it's easier to feed your neighbors than it is to shoot them. And if you're feeding your neighbors, you're making good friends. You're really bonding. I mean, it could turn out to be a friendship of a lifetime from someone you never met. And, uh, who knows? It just might bring the booze. Yeah, I would. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and of course, if you have even more meat, you, if you got a little salt and pepper and vinegar around, you can start making biltong. Um, so uh, even if you got more than you can cook all at once, there's always something you can do with it to prolong its shelf life. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people would jerk it, but biltong's easier, takes less energy, and takes less materials, and it's faster.
1: And if you have a freezer and there's not like not much in, it, I'm talking like yeah a small chest freezer or even yeah. your 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 freezer above or below your refrigerator, there's not much in it. Fill up two liter soda bottles or any size pop bottle or milk carton with about eighty percent with tap water. And put it in there and let it freeze. That way, when the power fails, you got a lot more thermal mass in there because that ice is melting. It's actually going through what's called a phase change. Yep. And, it, and it, 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 that's why ice cools so good, because it takes one BTU to move one pound of water at one degree Fahrenheit. Well, it takes 140 BTUs to melt one pound of water from 32 solid to 32 liquid. So, I mean, it, ice stores a lot of energy. And when the water does melt well, he- melt, well, heck, you got cool water to drink. Hey, i got a good one even for you, Steve. When we used to come up to
0: Arkansas on and off, and we would be gone for four months at a time, yeah. it is possible that the power went out for a week or more, and the food in the freezer might have gone bad. And it would be really hard to know that if your neighbors didn't tell you. Okay. So the little yes. system I came up with, Was I took a soda bottle, filled it up halfway with water, put it up, put it Uh, froze (laughs) it, set it upside down, and if all the water had melted and refrozen in the bottom, you knew it. Then I knew it had completely defrosted. That didn't mean it was necessarily bad. But discretion, the better part of valor, Cause, or at least I knew to go up and ask the neighbors, when did the power go out and for how long? If yeah. the water was still frozen in place or it had fallen down but had not completely melted and refrozen, I knew that the food was going to be good.
1: Yeah, I mean, fabulous. I mean, That's redneck engineering, baby. Yeah, here's, a li- here's another little secret for you regarding ice from my thermodynamics background when I worked at Chrysler. If you have frozen bottles of ice in the freezer or even a bucket of ice or if you have Ziploc bags full of ice cubes, anything with ice in it, as long as there is ice, as long as there's one cube or one piece of ice still in that bottle or bucket in the freezer, then that freezer has not yet gone above 32 degrees Fahrenheit because the ice will sit there and always go from 32 degrees solid to 32 degrees liquid. And there's no way that ice can exist if it warmed up hot, hotter than that. So if you got you open the open freezer, you see ice cubes, it's at 32 degrees Fahrenheit, okay, which is fine. If you don't see any ice, you can put your hand on your meat and you know it's warming up, okay? So the freezer will stay, If you, no matter what you do, you're, with all the water in the world, your freezer will stay at 32 degrees as long as there's ice melting in it, and that's the temperature when ice melts. So... When the ice has fully 100% melted in the freezer, then you know it's going to start warming up. You might have to have a cookout in the next 24 to 48 hours. Feed your neighbors the steak. So uh, let me back up a minute, okay? If you have space in your freezer, put soda bottles 80% filled with water in it, or well-washed out milk jugs 80% full. Heck, you can even put a bucket of water, just a, you know, a plastic bucket of water in the freezer and let it freeze, okay? Or a five-gallon pail, again, about 80% full because ice is going to expand 10%. Uh, you can even take a trash bag, fill it full, about five gallons of water, tie it off, and drop it in the bottom of the freezer. Okay, that will work for thermal mass. You can put multiple of these in. You can fill the freezer up. And uh if you see a hurricane coming and you live in Louisiana, hurricane magnet of the world, start filling the freezer with water to freeze So you can freeze everything in a day, so all the water will freeze in a day or two before it hits. That way you got a lot of thermal mass, you got a lot of cooling, you got a lot of extra water, which you're going to need anyways, you got a lot of cold water. So, I promised you, let's talk about powering your refrigerator or freezer from your car in a disaster. So, If you really have to, this is what you can do. First of all, you need an inverter. If you don't need what an inverter is, it converts the DC voltage of your car into an AC voltage. And it clamps onto your car battery or plugs into your cigarette lighter. And it makes an AC voltage almost like what comes out of your outlets right now. So here are some rules of thumb. If you get an inverter and you plug it into your cigarette lighter or your power outlet inside the car... You can only draw or output about 150 watts. That doesn't matter if it's a 400-watt, an 800-watt, or a 1-gigawatt inverter. You can only suck about 150 watts out of the cigarette lighter. That's because of the size of the cable and the fuse that's in it, okay? So stop by AutoZone and get some extra 15 or 20-amp fuses in your car just in case you do blow a fuse. Uh, you need to find out if you take mini fuses or maxi fuses, the newer one, new cars take mini fuses, the older ones take the maxi fuses that y- you and I are both thinking of more of the like car fuses. Uh, get a fuse puller as well. Save your fingers. And, um, if you can't buy fuses, I put a whole bunch of them on solar one, two, three, four. Dot com. Uh, they're on Amazon. You can get 140 fuses for 10 bucks. And, uh, it's cheaper than buying three fuses all of own. So it's also some of the cheapest insurance you'll ever
0: buy. I just sold my RV, yeah, and I oh. had a huge box of fuses in the RV, and the guy said, "And the guy said, well, I get these with it. I said, yeah. He goes, how often does this thing blow a fuse that you have this many fuses? I said, it blew a fuse once. He said, then why do you have so many fuses? I said, because it blew a fuse once.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You have there you, now, go, yeah. you have you have now had a sermon from the house from the Church of Jack. I love that. So um if you want to power something that draws more than hundred and fifty watts, and this would be your refrigerator or your freezer, okay? You're going to need an inverter of the right size. So let's say you need a seven hundred and fifty or eight hundred watt inverter. Uh, And it'll have to clamp onto the battery of your car to give full power. You can't do it through a cigarette lighter because it's more than 150. So you gotta get the clamps out that came with the inverter and clamp the red on the positive and the black on the negative and don't cross the streams. I mean, don't cross the wires, okay? (laughs) The inverter will come with the thick cables for this. Uh, I have one of my favorite brand name Duracell 800 watt inverters. It's only 80 bucks from Amazon. I use it. I've used it for years. I use it when I travel. I use it for backup. I use it for testing. I use it for charging. I use it in videos and demonstrations and classes, okay? It's on Amazon. I got a link to it at solar1234.com with a description. Uh If you don't want to buy it from Amazon online, you can go to Walmart and you can get about a 750-watt inverter for about 45 bucks from Walmart. And I guess you had a whole show on Walmart the other day, Jack, so... Uh, I like Walmart. They sell cheap stuff. You know, buy your cheap things and do your politics elsewhere. So what you are going to do <coughs> to power your fridge or your TV or your AA battery charger and your cell phone and your iPad and everything else that is going to run, you're going to run an extension cord from the inverter in your car, whether it's plugged in the cigarette lighter or clamped on the battery, you're going to run a power cord, like a big, thick, like an orange one, into your house, and then you're going to plug into that. You're going to make your own little mini power grid from your car. Don't try to plug it into your house. That's a whole nother survival podcast show mm. I can do on generators and backfeeding your house and everything else. Okay. And or I for, know
0: for 99% of people, I do not have to say this, but for mm-hmm. 1% of you, I'm going to say this. If you run your car with an inverter and an extension cord running into your house to do what Steve is saying to you, you have a garage and your car's in your garage, open the freaking door. Uh, I know I
1: shouldn't have to say that, but if it saves one numbskull, uh, it's worth saying. Please. And, in, in <laughs> fact, back the car out of the garage, okay? Don't even leave it idling in the garage. Just back the car idling in your garage. I'll give you one uh, tip that uh, I learned at Chrysler Corporation and uh, because I used to do stuff with the legal department. I did all their instrumentation for their tests because people sued the company. It, if you can take a modern car, a brand-new 2012 car, actually back then it was a 2000 car, and you put a hose in your tailpipe and you run it into your uh, interior of the car and roll the window up, yeah, the, the emissions are so good on the car, you probably won't kill yourself. You might, wow. get, a, you might get a headache from the carbon monoxide. <laughs> you,
0: you know what you're making me think of? There is a, have you ever seen the show South Park? Yeah. yeah um, the one kid, I don't remember which one it was, he said, I'm going home to kill myself. I think it was Cartman. And uh, he 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 goes he comes back the next day and they're like I thought you were gonna kill yourself he goes I left my my mom's car running in the garage uh, with the windows open freaking hybrids just won't do it anymore man <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, 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 that was so funny yeah oh boy it's I, like uh, freaking
0: hybrids just don't get the job done anymore or something like that it was it was pretty
1: funny. <laughs>
0: anyway, we let's get back on what we were talking about, okay.
1: Here. The thing that'll surprise most people today is your good modern refrigerator, Jack, you remember our old refrigerators? They had power cords as thick as your your thumb or your wrists on them. You had to have twenty amp sockets and everything to plug them into.
0: yeah, we still have one in the shanty up in Pennsylvania at my dad's place it's uh it's
1: probably eighty years old and still working, okay, you're not gonna power that off your inverter okay? no no I'm not gonna I ask. mean. New refrigerators, I'm talking like the last 10 years, especially the ones, say, Energy Star compliant on it. Well, they, they got really smart. They increased the insulation. And instead of saying we're going to have a compressor that runs and draws 1,500 watts and it's going to run once out of every five minutes, where they said we're going to have a smaller compressor that's going to run more of the, of the time and it's more efficient. So I have, with my kilowatt meter, I always get a chance. I measure my refrigerators, my freezers, my friends, refrigerators and freezers when they're running and, I mean, it's a whole weird thing, but they all draw about between 100 and 200, 120 to 200 watts when they're running, okay? That's not a lot of power, okay? I mean, your 150 watt inverter could power, theoretically power your refrigerator, except there's this thing called an inductive kick. When you try to start the motor, it wants to draw about 750 watts for about three seconds when the motor's starting. So that's why you gotta have the 800 watt inverter to run these refrigerators. Um, like I said, the older refrigerators that have, like, 20-amp plugs, forget it. You're not going to run them. That's over 2,000 watts. But the new refrigerators, you can power. So the reason, you, like I said, you need 800-watt inverter is because when you the kick, thing kicks on, it's going into a little 150-watt inverter we go, ah! An 800-watt inverter, it, it can even take a surge to, like, 1,200 watts for about 10 seconds. They have a rating on it. So uh, that's why you need an 800-watt inverter, even though it's only going to draw less than 200 watts from your car. Again, it's got to be clamped onto the battery. So Jack, um, Something good. And uh, it will uh, run off the battery of your car or, okay, the, the idling the car. Here's the, here's the thing. If you're drawing that much power, you're clamping on the battery, and you're powering your refrigerator, you're going to have to idle the car. The battery in your car or your pickup truck is generally pretty small in comparison to the amount of energy. If you took the amount of energy that was in a good deep-cycle lead-acid battery, you compared it to the amount of energy you would get from a generator and gasoline, it would be like two ounces of gasoline. Okay, It's big and heavy, but there's not a lot of energy in it. Sure. So the rule of thumb is if you're drawing this much power, you're going to have to have your car idle. And um, the question is how long will your car idle on gasoline? When I was at Chrysler, I let a minivan idle for 18 hours overnight for a test, and it took about 12 gallons worth of gasoline. So the rule of thumb is when your car is idling, it will take burn between half a gallon and a gallon of gasoline an hour. So that's why you're not running your car to run your freezer and your refrigerator all the time. You're only running it for an hour to cool it down a little bit, put your blankets back over it, and then go turn off your car.
0: Yeah, you know, Steve, this is like the same thing I'm trying to teach people about food storage. And I say 90 days and people go, well, isn't it better to be a year? Well, sure, if you have the space, the time, and the money. But even in a long-term breakdown, right, there'll still be the ability to get some food from the economy, to do some barter, some exchange. And if you have to deal with 25% less of something, then 90 days becomes a year of sustainability as long as you're only dealing with a 25% deficit. We have to look at things like refrigerators and freezers the same way. Yes, it would be great if there was a magical uh, you know, uh, unicorn that farted angels that would come and make your – House run on free energy, uh, and you could just run things the same way when you 're without power all the time, but actually we 're using far more energy daily than we really need to get the job done, and in these situations, we have to scale back to compensate and we can you know like you said, run an hour here an hour there and and, and extend the life expectancy of something that already has a much better life expectancy than people think, that, think it does.
1: Yeah, your car is a great generator. I mean, it's a $30,000 machine out there with a 200-horsepower engine. I mean, it makes a great low-power generator. and It's there, so you might as well use it. Uh, note, when you are powering your refrigerator freezer, please remove the blankets that's insulating them, okay? Refrigerators <laughs> and freezers are heat pumps. They move heat from the inside of the box to one side of the box to let it out, okay? Yep.
0: Yeah, I called. remember the first time I saw a propane refrigerator. I was like 18, 19 years old in Honduras in the army, and it blew my mind that I said like, "How the hell is that thing cold?" And the lady pulled the thing off the bottom, and there was
1: fire at the bottom of it. Yeah, yep. it's called it's called an ammonia absorption an ammonia absorption process, and then there's there are lots of refrigerators and freezers out there you, you can buy right now that run on propane and natural gas and kerosene, and we can do a whole another show on that if you want. But uh, the hot side of the Remember you used to see the the network of tubes on the outside of your refrigerator in the old days? That's, yep. called, the, that's called the condenser. That a was modern. the part you
0: never wanted to push it too back and smash it up against the wall when you were sliding it into its slot.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, what they did now is they built that into one wall of the refrigerator so it looks a lot better. That's the hot side. If you actually knew what side of your refrigerator was hot, you could keep blankets over everything else except leave the hot side exposed when you're, when you're running it. But yeah. if you don't know, pull all your blankets off. Um And then cool it down and put all your blankets on. Well, Jack, you know what? People ask me about small refrigerators all the time. I get the same thing. Like, won't it take
0: less energy to keep the small refrigerator cold? And my response is generally no. And you want to tell people why?
1: Yeah, this will surprise you. But a small refrigerator often have the same size compressor as the big ones, okay? It takes the same amount of energy to cool the small one as it does the full-size one. The difference is the full-size one is going to run longer, and it's got a lot more insulation around it, even though you don't see it. And uh, so the small one has very little insulation, so what it does to compensate is it runs the compressor more. And I'm talking these little under-the-counter refrigerators you buy for a 100 bucks from Walmart uh, or Home Depot or your or local hardware store that is owned by uh, locals.
0: Or, okay. or like the uh, little ones that truck drivers use, and I've had somebody ask me, well, why do they use those? And I said, because you can't fit your giant two-door Frigidaire in your freaking back of your, uh, that's right. your sleeper cab of your truck.
1: That's why. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, these these things draw about the same amount of power as the big ones. So. And like you said, they have less insulation. Mm-hmm, they have so less insulation. they have to insula- do more
0: work to get the same results.
1: Yeah, well, if you look at a refrigerator, okay, this is a little technical stuff, but that's what you got me here for. The refrigeration cycle is kind of inefficient. You're using electricity to run a compressor that moves refrigeration to the cold wall of the refrigerator. This is called the evaporator. And that cold wall makes cold air. That cold air then makes your food cold. What's air? It's an insulator. It doesn't really want to, you know, cool things very well or heat things very well. Um, So here's one of my favorite Harris tricks, and we talked about making ice, and now I'm going to tell you how to make ice. If you really want to buy something, if you just have to buy a thing that is going to keep your stuff cool, you're going to buy an ice maker. And this is going to be a little tabletop ice maker. It sits on top of your table. It's like the size of two toaster ovens, okay, put together. I have been using a tabletop ice maker since about 2007 on a daily basis at work. It, it's for ice for my soda drinks that I drink during the day. Hang hey, on, my phone's ringing. Uh, I've run the thing in the back of my pickup truck off an inverter when I drove through the country. I went around the country a few times in my younger life and I, with a camper and a pickup truck and everything. And I had this thing in the back of the pickup truck running off the inverter as I was driving, making ice. And every two hours, I'd pull over and pull the ice out of the thing and put it into my my cooler. Um, So I've used them mobile. I've used them stationary. I use them for my own soda drinks. And, uh, they, they work very well. They will hold, they will make about, uh, 25 pounds of ice a day, so about a pound of ice in an hour, and they hold about two hours worth of ice, so every two hours you gotta empty them. So here's the thing, the technical thing, with an ice maker, you got electricity moving the compressor, making your, your refrigerant cold, and it goes to the condenser, which is a piece of cold metal. This cold metal is directly sitting in a pool of water. That directly freezes round ice cubes around it. The ice cubes then drop into a storage area, and if they melt, they melt into the water, That's making more ice cubes, so it's saving the energy, so the coldness is preserved. You then take this ice out of the ice maker, and you put it into your ice chest or a five-day cooler. And then you put what you want to keep cold, your food or your milk, directly on the ice in contact with it, or you put it in the water at the bottom of the cooler that has the ice floating in it. That is the fastest way and best way to keep stuff cold. Have a bit of cold water in the bottom of the ice that's floating floating in the bottom. Your stuff that needs to stay really cold, you put it in a Ziploc bag, and you put it in the ice water. And the stuff that does not need to be so cool, you have it on top of the stuff that's sitting in the ice water. So your containers of yogurt go in the water. The bottom of your milk carton sits in the little bit of water. And your hot dogs are sitting on top of the milk jug, just keeping cool, because it'll be about 32 to 2 degrees in there.
0: You know, at one time I was a construction worker, and there's nothing that keeps your guys motivated like knowing they can have a cold beer at the end of the day when they're done. Yep. And if you take a, a warm six-pack, because that's all you can get your hands on, and you put it in the refrigerator, it takes a day. I've got a long time to get cold. Uh and it was just a joke and nobody ever technically measured it and I know you're the technical guy, but we had a joke that beer dumped into ice water gets cold in six
1: point two minutes.
0: And it was pretty damn close to accurate. Uh it, is. it got cold really, really fast, much
1: faster than sitting in the refrigerator. In fact, if you um if you take your beer can and you spin it in the ice and you move it around and shake it around in the ice water uh, it'll get cold in about three minutes. There's actually little things out there to cool your can of Coke in about two minutes and it's, it's ice, it's ice water. It's actually, if you want to do it really good, it's the way you make ice cream. You take, uh, ice and salt and water and then you spin your Coke can in the mixture of ice, salt and water. And what you're doing is the ice makes, the ice makes the water melt, sorry, the ice lowers the freezing point of the water mixture to zero. That's how we got zero degrees Fahrenheit. The definition is, uh, ice in a solution of salt water. Okay, that's how Fahrenheit, Mr. Fahrenheit, defined zero degrees Fahrenheit. Okay? So, that works really, really good. Ice, salt water, salt water and ice. Zero degrees that's Fahrenheit. That's
0: how we make ice cream. Ice cream okay. makers eat rock salt.
1: That's how you make ice cream. That's exactly right. So there's little little point.
0: So, so let me ask you a question here on the uh, this little ice maker thing. Yeah. Um, how long can you run that off of your you know your inverter setup thing like that? I mean, it, you say it works well,
1: but I mean, I'll tell you exactly. Uh, my ice maker, I measured just last night, just for the show. Okay, and to confirm it again, it's drawing 120 watts. Okay, so, you're, again, your car is going to have to be idle. 120 watts is about 10 amps from of DC current from the car battery. 12 volts times 10 amps is 120 watts. And so 10 amps off a car battery would suck down your car battery to nothing, dead, in about two to three hours. So that's why you got to keep your car idling. In fact, if you just had the ice maker running, you might be able to idle your car for a half hour, turn it off for a half hour, idle your car for a half hour, turn it off for a half hour, Um that, that'll work pretty good. And i also point out to people, like, what Steve's giving you here,
0: you can you, you guys got to start, like, leveraging things for yourself in certain ways. So if you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'd like to have a 4,500-watt decent generator, you can get them for a few hundred dollars. Think of how much gasoline you could store for half of that, and then use oh. the other part to buy the inverter. I do have one big tip for people with gas cans. If you're buying the ones from the store and all, because that's what you can get or what you can afford, fine. Get yourself a dadgon nozzle long enough so you can dump the fuel from the can into the car. Because the dadgon nozzles they sell with the cans today, Steve, a lot of gas tanks, it's almost impossible to pour the gas into it directly into a car uh, gas tank. Because they have these little nozzles now that are about four, if you know what I'm talking about, these little four inch nozzles. Yeah, I can do,
1: a, in fact, I should, I, one of the things I should do for you in the future is a whole show just on generators and gasoline. Um, I have. Photographs during the blackout of people wheeling around eight hundred dollar generators and they only had five gallons of gas for a damn thing. <laughs> I mean, and like boy. you said, they got
0: a thirty or forty thousand dollar car.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. With a full I mean, tank. Yeah, and this idiot I was in that I quoted and started the, start the show—he's driving around looking for a generator. Well, good luck—you got to find a generator and you've got to find gas, and you're and burning, burning gas gas trying to find it. And It's just ridiculous. He's burning fuel,
0: uh, you know. And then, you know, I've actually seen something worse. I think I'm almost afraid to tell you this. I'm afraid the top of your head's going to come off. Ah, one guy on the news siphoning gas out of his car to put in his generator.
1: Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> there we go. That, that's real. That's really intelligent.
0: Well, and I think it's just because people don't think about this stuff in advance. You know, they just don't. They don't walk through it before they're faced with the situation. So I'm sitting there. I'm out of gas from my generator. I think I'm going to kill my family if I don't keep the food cold. The
1: no, your, wife, your wife's there, going the car to kill you. sitting
0: there, wife. you know, and I just think that's how people think.
1: No, your wife's going to kill you if you don't keep the food cold. Yeah, yeah. Oh. When? Okay, now the ice maker. Again, this whole show is about telling you what I have used for years. And it's telling you how to use it in your situation and how you might be able to use it and how I've used it. I'm also enabling you, which doesn't mean I'm just saying, okay, go find the ice maker on the on the winds, okay? Uh, the ice maker used to be at Home Depot. In fact, it might be a, in the, at the Home Depot in the south. They're about $169. Uh, I have the ice makers listed on solar1234.com right now. Uh, there's a white one and a black one. You, you click on it. You can go over to Amazon, and you can buy it directly from Amazon if you want, or you can say, oh, that's it. I've seen that at my hardware store. You can go down to your hardware store, and you can buy it. But I'm enabling you, and, again, anything we talked about during the last hour or so regarding um, refrigeration and freezers is at solar one two three four dot com and if you want my free family preparedness class that I'll put a link up there to that as well. But guess what? I've done it again. I've run out of time. So yeah. what I have what we're going to do. And not, the next stuff we're going to talk about on the next show, the next day. Uh, that you're going to listen to, it's going to be about your TV, how to power your TV, whether it's a 34 or 42 or 12 incher or 60 incher, um, how to you know power everything else off of your inverter, your cell phone, your satellite dish, uh, your radio. I'm going to talk about recharging AA batteries. And I'm going to give you the infinite source of AA batteries. And so stay tuned and listen for that. It's going to be the next show tomorrow. Yeah,
0: yeah. I've talked I've talked them into it, guys. Just go ahead and knock this out. This is so topical, and this is so spot on for a lot of people right now, and a lot of people are focused on it, and let's face it, it's going to be hot for quite a few more months, and there's going to be storms for quite a few months. We're going into hurricane season. We're not out of tornado season yet. We're out of like the... The part where I like hide once a week at least, but <laughs> we're not out of that, so we're gonna stick right this with this. I want to point out one thing about the the portable ice maker for people um it's not a 12 volt device; it uses the inverter like you just told everybody how to set it up. so if you buy one of these, you could sit it in your house, start using it right now, yep. and when you have like company over and you wipe out all the ice in the freezer, it's a nice additional thing, and it's a constant source of ice and uh so I think I'm gonna pick one of these up
1: okay. Jack, I, I mean, tell you what—if you don't like it, I'll, I'll 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 buy it off you, Jack. Because, okay. I mean, that, it comes. I mean,
0: what I like is you have the the like the 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 tan one and the black one, and I like black, so I'm gonna get a black one.
1: I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's really a Harris best practice. I, I, I'm not BSing you. I'm not telling you to buy it, just to buy it. I'm saying, look at the whole refrigeration cycle. Okay, it's a lot more efficient to make ice directly from a refrigerant than to take the ice and put it on your food than it is to run a refrigerator. And so, I mean, get these five that you see them, they're from igloo, they're called five-day coolers, and some are called seven-day coolers. They're thick as hell, okay? And then yeah. if you want, you can go to Home Depot and get some two-inch foam, and you can, uh, get some, um, liquid nails, and you can, and you can glue the foam to the side of the cooler with liquid nails, and you can have a fourteen-day cooler, or you can throw your sleeping bag on top of it, and it'll stay even colder, okay? Do you guys get the principle of what I'm talking about here?
0: Yeah, definitely. It just comes down to, like you said, what cools better, air or water and ice? And if you're in cold air, like, we'll just wrap up with this thought, right? So if I give you, like, a thin shirt and a thin pair of pants and all, and you're standing out, and it's 32 degrees outside, you're not happy. no nope. But you're probably a long way away from hypothermia. If I take a 55-gallon drum and fill it halfway with water and then stack ice into it like a big, giant, cold glass of ice water and submerge your ass in there, unless you're a highly trained Navy SEAL that's learned all these techniques to wall off parts of your body and ger- generate heat, you're probably not far from going to the emergency room for hypothermia or ending up dead. Yeah, be- and, and that tells us all we need to know about the between cooling with air and cooling with water and ice.
1: Okay, everyone. I'll be back at the Church of Jack tomorrow. Listen for it. <laughs> All right, folks,
0: and with that, this has been Jack Spierko today along with Stephen Harris helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. our food these days. You know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay I guess when we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way